Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Our series, it's in the book of Romans. We're already in Romans from what I understand. Uh, what a great book. And Jerry was right about how I feel about Romans, not just Romans 8, but the book of Romans. One person has said, from it we can learn the content of the Christian faith like nowhere else in the Bible. I believe that. Do you know that some of the greatest church fathers have actually come to understand and believe in Jesus because of Romans, the book of Romans? Now, how about this? Uh, Martin Luther, it was as he was reading the book of Romans. Augustine, no greater Christian leader to the history of the church. And it was in the book of, book of Romans. I remember when I was a, uh, a young Christian, I wanted to grow in my faith. And so I went to a, a Christian leader that I was at a conference, and I had admired this man for years. I had an opportunity to get up and ask him a question. I said, tell me. Now, if I can do only one thing to advance my Christian faith to where it needs to be as I grow in life and in faith, what is the one thing? And without thought, he said, master the book of Romans. Master the book of Romans. So for the 42 years that I've had the privilege to give leadership to Perimeter Church, uh, I said year one, we will start with Romans 1 verse 1. And we'll go through a series of six to eight weeks, and we'll stop it. We'll pick it up the next week, and hopefully in five-year time, we will go through Romans 1 through 8. And so I have done that now eight times, over and over and over and over and over. And people often ask, I come among the church at Perimeter. What is it with the people? There's something. And I'll say, they know Romans chapters 1 through 8. That's where you find the best of the best, in my opinion. In fact, this chapter 8 that we're about to get into, John Piper said of chapter 8, he said, in my opinion, it's the greatest chapter in the whole of God's Word. That would be my opinion. So it is an important one, obviously. Let me tell you, too, why it's important. Because today, for you that are churched people, uh, you've got to understand this. The majority of people in church today are getting what I would call a pop theology. It is very, very simple, simple, simple. It is very shallow for the most part. And Christians today are not getting the rich, historical, biblical theology that builds strength in the heart and lives of people. They, they want to feel good about their faith as opposed to becoming mature in their faith. And so I hope that you will find this to be an encouraging time. I'll say this. My wife, Carol, she asked, she said, uh, we, we talked, she said, uh, you, uh, you, you feel okay about the message? And I said, well, here's how I kind of feel about it. I, I think uh, about 75% of the people when I preach this, about 75% are going to walk out and go, what did he say? 
Did you, did you understand that? So, which means about 25% of you are going to like this. So you know what I'm going to do. I want to make sure you truly get the depth of it. But at the end, I'm going to simplify it. So simple that not one person here should walk out with saying, hmm, maybe you won't agree, but you'll understand what the Word of God says. So with that, four of the greatest gifts of the Christian faith, to give you the outline of the whole of the, uh, of the chapter, uh, here is what I would suggest to you. You'll put it up on the uh, screen, I think. Here it is, if you want just the bigger outline. Four things that make the faith an advantage. And I believe, I believe with all my heart, not that I'm any special because I'm a, a person of faith. I know it's the grace of God. But I truly walk through life, and I say, what an advantage I have over people who are not. Could I be wrong? Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't believe it. And I know it through my experience, not just through what I think here. These are the four advantages that you, if you're a Christian, you have in this world. I don't know if you're embracing them, but these are the advantages we have. Number one, verses 1 through 17, which will be the first three messages. Uh, here it is. Basically, acceptance. I can now experience design, divine acceptance. What if we knew we were accepted by God? Wow. That's what we're going to talk about. And then, coming after that is suffering. The idea of suffering, 18 through 27, I can now accept suffering. What do you mean, accept suffering? Yeah, I can actually look at suffering and consider it to be okay. As much as I hate it and despise it, I know its value. The lost world has no idea the value of suffering. I'm convinced that until people get a biblical wardrobe, a biblical theological wardrobe to put on in the bitterness of the cold of the pain of this world. It's still going to be cold, but we can survive. That's a unique advantage. Number three is verses 28 through 30. I call it assurance. I can now expect all things to work together for good. Not that all things are good, but they work together for good. That makes a difference if you really believe it, not just psychologically trying to put yourself into something to hope so, hope so. No, but if you believe that, what a difference it makes. And then number four, I would summarize it security, verses 31 through 39. I can now be certain of eternal life. Now, a word to you that are seekers. I mean, you're simply here kind of trying to investigate the Christian faith, not really sure, trying to understand what is this thing all about. Don't we all search for what we believe will give us what I'm going to call the best life possible? Sure we do. I mean, I haven't ever met anybody. I said, well, tell me about your fiance. Oh, I just met, we met about two years ago. And, you know, I truly think uh, she will make me about as miserable as possible, probably. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. You know, we'll, we'll go through life and it'll be miserable. But, you know, No. If you hear somebody say they got a job, tell me about your job. They say, well, I took this job because it pays almost nothing and it'll be terrible. I hate it. But you know what? I just thought I'd get a job that might not make me so happy. I don't care what it is, whether it's who you choose as friends, it goes on and on. Everybody is saying, I want the best life possible. 
So I'm convinced. You want the best life possible? What if those four things we just mentioned, what if you had those? I think you could take the worst of stress, discomfort, pain, and disappointment, and you can lay them beside these four faith advantages, and you'd walk away saying, I'm good. I'm good. That's why this is an important study as we walk through this. So let's drill down with the first of these, acceptance. I've called it divine acceptance. Divine obviously means God, by God. Now, what does the word acceptance mean? If you look it up, it says being found worthy, pleasing, satisfactory. That's saying that you would see God and truly believe that when he sees you or when he sees me as his follower, he's saying, I am fully satisfied. Wow. I mean, that's acceptance. Where the person says, I am truly satisfied with you. What if we could walk through life believing that's what God thinks about me? So here's the deal. How do we know we're accepted by him and not condemned? Well, there are three assurances given in our 17 verses. And I've got them in the outline that you'll see, the testimony of God's word, the evidence of a changed life, and the witness of God's spirit. You can forget those three titles. I'm going to give you a better one. Why don't you think of it this way? One, because God's word says so. That's what we're going to look at today. God's word says so. Secondly, next week, my life says so. And number three, I'll come back the third week, God's spirit says so. That's an interesting one. That's how we know. Everybody else is walking into life going, I think so, I hope so, I should be, because I think that. No, no, how do we know we're accepted by God? And we're going to begin today with the idea that God's word says so, the testimony of God's spirit. So, step one, being convinced that we are accepted is going to require somebody, first of all, telling us, I love you. It starts with knowing that somebody will actually tell you that they love you. Now, God's word is full of that. I could take you to a hundred verses that talk about God's love for his people. All right, we've heard that. We believe that. Okay, that's good. No, no, we got to hear it first. Not enough, but we got to hear it first. Kids, kids crave to hear from their parents, I love you. Carol had parents that loved her to death. We met, started dating in college, got engaged after college, and through that period of time, she would say, and she had the finest parents anybody could possibly want, Christians, truly love the Lord. And here's what I'd hear from her over and over and over. I just long to hear my daddy say he loves me. I said, why don't you start, why don't you start telling him? I know you feel uncomfortable because he feels so uncomfortable, but make him uncomfortable. Just say, I love you. And I remember she said one day, she said, Dad, I love you. And he goes, <coughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, thanks, 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 thanks. And she said, he wouldn't say it. And then that day, he said, I love you too. 
You'd think, well, he's been pushed into it. But something happened right here to her when she heard those powerful words, I love you. My dad, well, my dad embarrassed me to death. They'd leave a, end of, after a football game in high school or whatever, and I'd, be, I'd wait to the last person, last person that would leave the dressing room. I wanted everybody to be gone except my parents. Because my dad would hug me and kiss me and say, I love you, like I just said, leave me, whoa, too much, too much. Deep down inside, there was something that said, wow, thank you. We need to hear it. But here's the point about this text. Hearing it is not truly enough. We have to feel lovable. We have to feel lovable. Words make a difference, but not enough. I remember one of my dear, dear, dear friends, a couple that we've been friends since 40-plus years. I remember him. I don't know of a finer husband. I don't know of a man that loves his wife more. I don't know of a woman who would say her husband loves her more than, than her husband does. But he came to me one day, and he said, Randy, my wife just does not feel I love her. I don't care how much I demonstrate it. I don't care how much I say it. She just doesn't feel loved. Well, why not? Because she was one bad girl in her own words. And she says, you're loving me, though changed. You love me. I know you'd say it. I know you show it. But I just don't know. You have to feel lovable. You have to feel lovable. The degree to which we are loved does not necessarily dictate how much we believe we are loved. So, having said that, let's read again Romans 8, 1 through 4. Here is his convincing the Christian, you are lovable. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Say what? You probably read that and went, oh, what did he, <laughs> I don't quite get, what did that, it's a hard text. So my job is to teach it thoroughly, but to make it simple. So here we go. I'm going to give you two things that are being taught here. The two reasons Christians are so lovable to God. And most Christians never think of these. Here's number one. It's because we are in Christ. It's verse 1. Because we are in Christ. Verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Interesting words, in Christ. Now, if you go down to verses 9 and 10, we'll put this on the screen, listen to what it says there. It says, However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, 
Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So that's very complicated. But here is basically the two verses, one and, and then verse, uh, verse number uh, uh, 10. Verse one says, okay, Christ is, uh, our, our believers are in Christ. And then verse 10 says, Christ is in believers. Wow, that's weird. Well, it means his spirit. And because of, if I went into the teaching much deeper, I would show you, it even says there, it is the spirit. Christ, the spirit, the father, three in one, all God. One God, three persons. He says, here's the deal. Christian, do you know that when you become a Christian, do you know that Christ comes in you? Do you know that when you become a Christian, you are in Christ? It's what's been called by the, the church fathers through history, the mystical union. Seeker? Is that just crazy? It does sound crazy, doesn't it? The Word of God teaches it. I sure have experienced it, but it's something happens. It is Christ in us and us in Christ. I was here a few years ago, a couple years ago, and I, I, I taught uh, through a, a text in Romans chapter 6, and I think Jerry even alluded to it. He mentioned last week, but it's using the two hands. This is the important illustration to understand. Uh, here, this is you. This is me. This is, this is the work of God's Spirit. And what happens at the moment I become a Christian is this. Boom. I'm united with Him. Christ in me. I'm in Christ. That's going to be very important in just a minute as I give you the other part of that illustration. But keep in mind, this is me. This is the Spirit of God. Boom. I'm now united with him forever and ever and ever, never to be separated, no way possible. That's the story of Christianity right there. It's what he has done in us. So what happens? Once this happens, now God the Father, the triune God, looks at us and says this, Oh, I see you in my son Jesus. Wow. That means, I, I, I see you, Jesus, as I see him, as I see her. Oh, by the way, I love him. I love her as much as I love you, Jesus, because this is what I see. I don't see this. I see this. That's very, very, very important. Now, no condemnation as a result. I had a friend that I have a friend, dear friend. We grew up together and we were best, 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 best buddies all through high school, went to college together. And he was the number one highest rated athlete in the country. You talk about a five star, this is the five star of five stars. Two sports, had scholarships from every single university in America. Anybody would have taken him without a thought. Went on to University of Alabama, was a great star there. He was the best of the best of the best of the best. And he was my best friend. Do you think I got any advantages for being his friend? I'm sure some people liked me because I was his best friend. I'm sure I got invited to things I would have never been invited to because I was his best friend. Let me tell you, that illustration breaks down horribly badly. 
You know why? Because it's not that, oh, I'm just near to him. I, that's all I was. I was close to him. And a lot of people say, well, I'm close to God. I'm close to God. That doesn't count. This illustration breaks down because if it's referring to the story I'm saying, it's not just being close. I'm united with Jesus. That's why he can look at me and say, you are lovable because I see Christ. I don't just see you. I see Christ in you. I see you in Christ. Colossians 3.3, I see you hidden in Christ. I don't see you. I see him. That's why. So there's number one, because we're in Christ. There's a second reason that we're lovable. And this is the final reason. Your outline says, because we have been freed from the power of sin and death, verses 2 through 4. And so, let's look at verse 2. He's going to say, all right, this is what's happened. It says in verse 2, for, which literally is the word because, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay. Because... There's no condemnation because of what he says next. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, the word law there actually means power. Law is used different ways in the Bible. When you see it in the English version with a capital L, that's going to be referring to the commandments of God and so forth. This is a small L in the English, but this word is used to refer to the power Literally, the power. So he's talking about the, the power uh, of sin and of death. So here's what he's saying. These are my words. Because the liberating power of the Holy Spirit has set you free from the enslaving power of sin and death. That's why you're lovable. What do you mean? Well, let's go back to my hands illustration. What precedes this should be, here's my hand at conception. I'm now here. I'm in life now. That's me. And then I have an old sin nature. You may remember a few years if you were here ago when I talked about that. And we come into life like this. I'm in sin. Sin is in me. This is my life. But something happened and I died to sin. Death means separation. Do you remember this? Boom! That's when this hand, the Spirit, comes in that I was just referring to a while ago. Now I'm in Christ. But not only am I in Christ, but I have died to this sin nature. Still, in my being, a part of who I am, but no longer who I am. All the difference in the world. Before Christ, put it this way, sin was in me. After becoming a Christ, our, our, our sin in you and me, but now after Christ, no longer is sin in us. It is a part, but not who we are. So this is me sin, now sin in me. There's the difference. Now, I love what Stott says to caution us 
As Romans 7 says, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That's an easy, okay, my fault now. I got sin, you know, not my being, not a big deal. No, sin's gone, it's gone. Here's how Stott says it, one of the greatest commentators of Scripture. An honest and humble acknowledgement of the hopeless evil of our flesh, even after the new birth, is the first step to holiness. The only way to arrive at faith in the power of the Holy Spirit is along the road of self-despair, which is saying, okay, this has happened, but now, Christian, don't go and say, okay, now I'm fine, no matter what I do, because, you know, sin's no longer part of me, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. No, it's very present. It is very present. But now, it no longer reigns over me. So, we have to embrace our sinfulness. Look at verse 3. It tells us how this happens. For what the law could not do weak as it was because of the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. What the law could not do. You know what it's saying here? The law, it's perfect, isn't it? Yes. But though the law is perfect, it has limitations. By the way, do you know that Jesus is perfect, right? Christians believe that. Does Jesus have limitations? Yes, he does. He can't sin. He has limitations. So he's saying this law is still the perfect law, but it has limitations. It can't do anything to take you and make you lovable. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how religious you are. If you think that's going to get you before God and Him say, oh, you are so lovable, wrong. It will never happen. It can never happen that way. How do we become lovable? In Christ, separated from sin. But as I'm separated, I'm united with Him. And God looks at us and says, wow, you're lovable. I don't see the sin. Do I know the sin? Sure, I know the sin, but I would never treat you any way but as I would treat my son because you are in Christ and Christ is in him and you have been separated from the power of sin. Oh, I know. You can still submit to that sin all you want. And that's what I taught in Romans 6. Oh yeah, we can submit. But if you remember the story of the old captain coming around, if, if you remember the old captain, that's the sin nature. And he says, get up and sin. And the new captain's saying, oh, you rest. You don't have to work. It's a whole different ball game once Christ is in our life. So verse 3 tells us how this is going to happen. What the law could not do, weak as it was in the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's how he did it. Verse 4 tells us why. Why he must do this. Verse 4 says, So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Fulfilled means perfectly performed. What? Yeah, do you know what? He kept the law perfectly so that when we're in Christ and Christ is in us, God looks at us and says, like I see you keeping the law perfectly. Oh, but God, I break the law all the time. I've got bad thoughts. I have lust. I do this. I do that. I'm selfish. I know that. But guess what? You are so lovable to me because you're in my son, Jesus. And my son Jesus is in you, and you are no longer like this with sin. Oh, it's there. And you yield to its temptation way too much. And it grieves my heart. But you need to know this. I see nothing but something lovable. You are lovable to me.
Now, as I conclude, it's time to make it simple. You've heard a lot, okay, I think I get the bigger picture maybe a little bit. All right, so first, what should our response be to this? What should the response be? Here's a question. Can I live now any way I want to live? Hmm, answer is yes and no. Yes, and that you can live any way you want to live because the way you want to live, if you're really in Christ, is to obey Him. No, it doesn't mean that you're free and God says, now you can do anything you want to do, it doesn't matter. Not at all. I like to think of it this way. Do you want to be faithful to a spouse who loves you beyond your comprehension? You may not love her in times of selfishness and whatever, but you're going to go, of course I want to love you. Sure, it's important. So yes, important to keep what he has to say. Can God still be angry with me? I'm hearing Christians say, God can't be angry with you because now you're in Christ. Christ. Oh, he can be angry with us, but only as an expression of his love. I have four kids. I have 15 grandkids. I used to talk about my kids. Now I'm talking about the grandkids. Can I be angry with a grandkid? You better believe I can. Can I be sinfully angry? I can, but I hope that's never the case. But you know what? I can be angry in the right sense because of my deep love. Can a person be jealous when their spouse is being flirted with by someone else? Yes, they can be angry and righteously angry. Why? Because I love this woman so much. That's why I am angry. Never is there a time, though, that he would say, if you put angry as He's going to be wrathful to you. He's going to try to hurt you. He's going to be, no, never, 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 never. Why? Because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And now you've been freed from sin. He sees you as you are now. Third and final question would be this. Does God's law even matter? Well, of course it matters. It's the way we can find the best way to express our love to him. David said, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night. I delight in your law, not in order that you would love me, but because you love me. Therefore, your word does matter very much. So, seeker, hear this. It's not how you live that makes you right with God. It's how Jesus lived that makes you right with God. Do away with this, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's really the answer. I've decided to follow Jesus. No, it's, it's better than that. It's, I am now in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. It's a whole different mindset. It will change your mind from thinking, how can God love me? Therefore, I'm not so sure about my security. I'm not so sure about my acceptance. I'm not so sure. All of a sudden, it shifts, and you go, wow. Look how loved I am by God. Christian, God is never going to get you. He's never going to get you. In fact, he was gotten for you. 
But he went to the cross. That's what he did. He was gotten for you at that moment. He'll never be condemned. He'll always be accepted by God. Christian, we're lovable. That's all there is to it. So when will you know you're accepted by God? When will you actually know it, believe it, say, yes, I am? When you've realized how lovable you are to God and why. And that's all this text is saying. You are lovable, and here's why. Because you're in Christ, you're hidden with Him. He sees Him, not you. He sees His righteousness, not your sin. And because you've been separated, and though He sees that sin, it's no longer a part of who you are. And He's going to condemn that with His work on the cross. He's going to deal with that. And here He's going to look at you and say, man, you matter to me. So, you take that one acceptance by God. And now, let's take all of your troubles and trials and the pain and the suffering and the heartache and everything else. And you just lay it next to that great truth. Forget the next three that are added to it. You just lay it next to that great truth and see if you don't find yourself walking away saying, man, I'm good. I'm really good. Wish I didn't have all that mess, but I'm good. Christian, we got a great advantage. Let's take advantage of our advantage. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that we would do just that. That we would kind of have a, a shift in our thinking now. And rather than think about how bad we are and how much you see that and how much you must hate it and therefore you must not care for me, that in reality it's not that at all. And that if in Christ we're lovable. But Father, I know that it's not just saying we're in Christ and therefore let's believe it, but uh, the sign of, that we'll look at next week of our life says so. Lord, none of us are perfect. How do we know when the life does say so? And if your spirit is saying so, how do we hear the spirit who tells us, yes, you're truly one of mine? And what about all of us, Father, who have had such hardships and pain and suffering and dealings with you and this world that, that, Lord, it's hard for us to even feel what we see in Scripture? I pray these next two weeks are going to shake a lot of that loose. And we're going to find ourselves living life with advantage. So we thank you and we ask it all in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.